But now we want to look at, uh, at my hero, Jesus, the great, uh, great preacher, and, and discover nine lessons from his preaching ministry. And uh, you may want to take notes, but at the end of the presentation, I will also um, give you an email address if you would like to get a copy of the PowerPoint presentation. I haven't figured out how to get internet activity here. I just have my phone, but when I get back home, I'll send you a PowerPoint. Or if you have a, a memory stick, um, I can give it to you afterwards. Okay. Thank you for being here. I know there are many excellent seminars. I wanted to go to some others myself, but I had to teach this one. Okay. Uh, apparently, if some want to, a Swedish translation, right? So there's going to be someone in the back. Uh, I cannot uh, speak Swedish too well. So how many of you can understand if I speak slowly and carefully? Huh? You can understand. Good. Taksumike. Let's pray. Blessed be your name, Lord God, that you have spoken to us through your prophets, and most clearly through your Son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to go into all the world and proclaim the good news about Jesus and about your love for us. We want to learn how to share your word effectively to be powerful preachers of your word. Whatever our occupation or work, when you ask us to speak, we want to speak with power. And so I pray that as we consider some lessons from the preaching ministry of Jesus, that you would be our teacher today. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, uh, I looked at the gospel record. That's where we learn about the preaching ministry of Jesus. And as I said last night, and I will say again tonight, I hope you can be with us tonight, I really believe that we need to fill our minds with the Word of God. I teach a class on the life and teachings of Jesus, still, even though I'm not at the university anymore. And many of my students who have even grown up in a Christian home will say, I have never read through one of the Gospels completely. Never read through Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. Maybe a text here, John 3.16, or a text here, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. But they've never read through the whole text. But I want to encourage you to do that, especially to read the Gospels, the life of Jesus. And it's from those records that we learn some principles about the preaching ministry of Jesus. So here we go. If you're taking notes, you just have nine lessons to learn. And uh, those are also in chapter one of, of this book, which I'm going to make available in electronic format for you. But also, as I mentioned, I have 36 copies in the hard format. Chapter one is the presentation that we're going to do today. And here's the first lesson that we learn from the preaching ministry of Jesus. And that is that we need to preach how? What does it say on the screen? Preach 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in the um, synagogue in Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has anointed me. He has anointed me to do what? To preach. He has anointed me to preach. So Jesus, when he preached, he preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, that's wonderful. He was the Son of God. That's true. But notice what he said in Acts, recorded in Acts 1. This is right before he ascends to heaven. If you can see the screen, I'd like to invite you to read it out loud with me. Let's read it together. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. I want you to notice that as Jesus preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, so he said, I want you to be my witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've read the New Testament, uh, you may think of some examples, and I'd like you to help me now. Think of some examples of some people who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit in, recorded in the New Testament. Anyone? Stephen is one of my heroes. Uh, Stephen was not a uh, full-time pastor. He was a deacon. But if you read uh, the book of Acts, uh, chapter 6, and then chapter 7, you'll discover that Stephen was such a powerful preacher. He preached it says, full of the Holy Spirit, that the enemies of Christ could not uh, stop his teaching. They could not refute or contradict his preaching. He preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, and maybe this is a bit uh, troubling to you, but he was such a powerful preacher that they said, we have to kill him. Now, uh, this this may sound radical to you, but I think we need more preachers like that today. Amen. Huh? I mean, I don't want to die young. I'm already much older than you. I don't want to die. I have a wonderful wife and two fine sons. But we ought to preach with such power that the enemies of Christ say... We have to silence that man. We have to silence that woman. Because they are preaching, how? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense to you? You're saying, oh, Derek, I don't think I want to learn to preach like that. Well, can I just preach a, like an ordinary sermon? I want to suggest to you that we've heard too many ordinary sermons. We need... Women of God and men of God who have the courage to ask the Holy Spirit to be with them and in them so that they can preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Uh, Pastor Bernie mentioned Stephen, 
Who else comes to your mind in the New Testament when you think about preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Peter. And, and he's a great example, too, because before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, well, he was a lot of talk, right? But no power. And when he's challenged regarding his relationship with Jesus, without the Holy Spirit's power, what does he do? Huh? He curses, he says, I don't even know who he is. This is one of the 12. But when he is filled with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> what is he like? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Bernard quoting from Acts 5. You know, you judge for yourselves. Should we obey God or man? You know, in other words, we, he says we must obey God rather than man. And preaching with such power on the day of Pentecost that people say to him, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. You say, Derek, how are you quoting all of that scripture? Did I tell you last night we need to fill our minds with the word of God? The Holy Spirit, just as the Spirit brought that text to Bernard's remembrance, he will bring it to your remembrance. He wants to teach you. So that even when you're preaching, have, has anyone here ever given a, a, a sermon or a, a talk where you're sharing and the Holy Spirit brings something to your mind? That's amazing. It doesn't mean you don't prepare. But part of your preparation is to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, so we have... Stephen and Peter, give me another example from the New Testament. Someone who preaches in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Apostle Paul. In fact, <laughs> right after his conversion on the Damascus Road, he begins to preach. And, and again, he preaches with such power that what did the enemies of Christ want to do? They want to kill him. They want to kill him. He has to be let out. Uh, how, do, how does he escape from Damascus? Do you remember? <laughs> have to let him down a little elevator to get him out of town. And he goes somewhere else and he preaches there. He's constantly thrown out of town and stoned. But he, 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 he says, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Christ my Lord. He's a powerful proclaimer. You, if, if you just learned one lesson from the preaching ministry of Jesus today. Just one lesson. You say, Derek, I, I'm going to go early for lunch now. You would, you, your, your life would be changed and the lives of those who hear you would be changed. And what is that one lesson? What's the first lesson that we've learned? To preach how? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to share an example with you. Um, I was a teacher at Southern Adventist University. And I think one of my students is here somewhere. There was a student in my preaching class. His name was John. And he was very average. Do you like to listen to average sermons? Huh? No, it's boring. Huh? My wife says, don't preach boring sermons. She says that to me because I have to listen to them. <laughs> she, she has a very short uh, mantra for me to remember. Boring is bad. Boring is bad. 
So John was an average preacher, not too good. And he realized it. He realized he was not preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. We finished the first uh, semester, and, and I didn't know this, but John went out into the woods, and he cried out to God. I don't know how long he was there. But he said, God, it's not acceptable for me to be uh, an average preacher. It's not acceptable for me to be a boring preacher. I want to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. He cried out to God. Whatever you need to do, God. Whatever you need to take out of me. Whatever you need to put into me. I mean, are you that earnest? Are you willing to pray that prayer? Some people may hate you. Some people may become your enemy. But he prayed. He said, God, whatever you need to do. The next semester he preached. He stood up. And as he began to speak, it was like the, the pulpit caught fire. And his student the friends were shocked. <laughs> really. Powerful sermon. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And after the sermon... I said to his classmates, what happened to John? What happened to him? They said, the Holy Spirit got into him. I said, no. The Holy Spirit got out of him. <laughs> the Holy Spirit wants to use us, but sometimes we're like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, I think I'm going to get excited here. Oh, oh. Sometimes I cry when I preach. Now, I don't write in my notes, cry here. <laughs> no. Sometimes the Spirit of God touches my heart, and, and my, my voice begins to shake. I used to be embarrassed. Oh, I'm sorry. But I'm not embarrassed anymore. You know why? Because if God is touching my heart, maybe he'll touch your heart. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. God is going to work in a miraculous way. John was no longer worried about what his classmates thought about him. He was only concerned of what they thought about Jesus. Power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he went on to become a great preacher. Do you know at the end of the semester, uh, the students would, would choose someone to receive a, an award. You know, like a plaque, a preaching award for the year. The greatest preacher for the students for the year. And it was given to this man, who was an average, boring preacher the semester before. <laughs> what a prayer to pray. God, I don't want to preach average sermons. I, boring is bad. I want to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a lesson, just one lesson from the preaching ministry of Jesus. Is that an important lesson? Very important. Lesson number two. I was trying to find another verb besides bathe because that's kind of an abstract verb. But, but uh, you know, when you take a bath, you're covered in water. So to bathe your sermon preparation and delivering prayer means to cover, cover your, your preparation and your preaching in prayer. You, you pray when you're preparing your sermon and you pray when you're preaching your sermon. You cover your sermon in prayer. I want you to... Look with me in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Maybe uh, some of you know this text, verse 35. Uh, 
it says that Jesus, a long while before dawn, he went out to a solitary place, and there he what? Do you know? Not preached, no. And there he he prayed. Thank you. He went and he prayed. And many times we read that text to uh, teach people that they should get up early and take time to pray. And it's a good text. But they don't read what comes next. Because if you look in your Bible, in Mark chapter 1, after he has spent this early morning time in prayer, in Mark chapter 1, I want you to notice what it says. Simon, verse 36 of Mark 1, and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. That's trying to get him to stop praying. He said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may, what? Preach there also. Because for this purpose, I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee. I want you to notice that Jesus, uh, before he preached, he did what? He prayed. Before he preached, he prayed. Before you have powerful biblical preaching, you have powerful praying. Are you following me? Sometimes I go somewhere to speak. They say, oh, let's have a little prayer before you go up to speak. I say, I need more than a little prayer. My wife is praying for me all of this time I'm here in Sweden. I need more than a little prayer. When I was pastoring in Orlando before I left to go to Washington, we would have a prayer service every Sabbath morning just to pray for what God was going to do. We don't want an average meeting. We want miraculous manifestation of the presence of God. So we must cover our preaching in prayer, our preparation in prayer. Uh, Acts 6 and verse 4, just in case you think it's just Jesus. I could spend many, many hours on Acts 6. It's a paradigm for ministry that's life-changing. But... The apostles say we we will delegate responsibility so that we can devote ourselves to two things, to prayer and to the word of ministry of the word, prayer and the ministry of the word. Which one comes first? Prayer. You have no right to preach unless you pray. Did you hear what I just said? You have no right to preach. Unless you first pray. You want powerful preaching? What comes first? Yeah, powerful praying. Powerful praying. Personal prayer, asking other people to pray for you. In fact, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we studied some last night, and we will again tonight study about the armor of God and about the word of God, which, which is a defense against the enemy, and praying in the spirit. But... Right after that, verse 18 and verse 19 of Ephesians 6, Paul says, Pray also for me, that utterance may be given to me to proclaim the word of God boldly, as I should. Boldly. Now you say, (laughs) the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was born bold. He was like, really bold. Why would he ask people to pray for him 
to be bold when he preached. Why would he ask them to pray? He was all, he's like, oh, you're a good speaker. You don't need to ask for people to pray for you. you. You have a good talk. You don't need to. Why did he ask them to pray? Because what we need to see and what we need to hear is not human boldness, but holy boldness. One time, a little girl was listening to a preacher. And he was shouting, trying to be, you know, really strong, shouting. She said, Mommy, why is the man so angry? Power does not come by shouting. I mean, sometimes I can shout to, to express a point, right? But power does not come from shouting. <laughs> power comes by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that happens because we have bathed our sermon preparation and delivery in prayer. So we pray when we prepare. We pray when we preach. And God will teach us. Hmm. So much I could share with you, but I'm going to go on to the third lesson. What have we learned so far? Well, first lesson, preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lesson number two, bathe or cover your sermon preparation and delivery in prayer, in prayer. Lesson number three, preach the word of God instead of opinions. Jesus said in John 14, recorded in verse 24, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So when you stand up to speak, you're to proclaim the word of God rather than human opinion. Jesus said in John 17 and verse 14, I have given them your word. So as I told you last night, you need to fill your mind with the Word of God. One of my mentors, a man, he was very old when I was just beginning to uh, preach. Uh, he's now sleeping in Jesus. But his name was HMS Richards Sr. You may have heard of him in history books. But he founded a ministry called The Voice of Prophecy. And uh, HMS Richards, um, he really believed in preaching the word of God rather than human opinion. So he read through the Bible two times every year. Um, I don't know how many of you have read through the Bible, but uh, there probably aren't too many people who read through the Bible two times every year. So he read through the Bible 160 times during his ministry in many different translations. Uh, and by the way, he only had one eye. Most of you have two eyes. He had an excuse. He had, I can't read the Bible so much, brother. I only have one eye. He played with a gun when he was 10 and, and detached the retina on one of his eyes. 
lost his sight in one eye. Just had one eye. He read through the Bible 160 times. He was asked one time, Pastor Richard, uh, have you memorized the whole Bible? And he humbly replied, um, I, I don't think I could claim to have memorized the whole Bible. But if you read me a Bible text, I will quote you the text before it and the text after it. It's filled with the Bible. Thousands of people came to know Christ, including my parents in England, became Christians as a result of the ministry of the voice of prophecy. Thousands of people. Why? Because he's speaking human opinions? He's an entertainer? People say, oh, that's interesting. No. Because he preached the word of God instead of human opinions. I have given them your word, Jesus said. And this is one of my favorite texts. Uh, maybe you want to look in your Bible in Acts 4.31. It's, <laughs> it's an amazing verse. They have just prayed that, the, that, that God would stretch out his hand and do many mighty works in the name of your servant Jesus. Just prayed, stretch out your hand. And then comes verse 31. I want you to notice, I don't know how it reads in, in your uh, language, if you're reading in a different language, but in, in English it says, after... They prayed. How does it read in your Bible? Yeah? Does it say after they prayed? Yeah? After they prayed. By the way, in this verse are the first three lessons that we have learned here. Preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. Bathing your preparation and delivery in prayer. And preaching the word of God instead of human opinions. All in this one verse. Listen. After they prayed. What happens next? What does it say in the Bible? The place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and went home. No. <laughs> went home for the Sabbath lunch. No. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and what? And they went out to speak the word of God with boldness. The word of God. That's what they went to preach. So we're not talking about human boldness, but holy boldness. And it half happened after they what? After they prayed. After they prayed. Sometimes you may come under attack. We talked about spiritual Protection, about radical protection last night. You may come under attack before you are to stand up and preach. And Satan will say, God can't use you. You're too weak. What are you doing here? Why, why do you think these people are going to listen to you? <laughs> I, was, I was... Have you heard of Oakwood, Oakwood University? It's a, a university in Alabama. I was there three weeks ago for a leadership conference. 
And I was teaching a workshop on Acts chapter 6. And, and, and as I'm walking over there, I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I mean, maybe no one will even come to this workshop. And I realized you are here because God has sent you here. That's all. Huh? Doesn't matter what they think about you. It only matters what they think about him. So if five people come or 500 people come, you just tell them what God has told you. So I get to the meeting. It's full. <laughs> but that's not what was amazing. What was amazing is what happened then because God, God, I, uh, God, you know, I use the expression as a as kind of a colloquial, God showed up. God came. You say, amazing. I went to church and God came. People are shocked. God came to church? <laughs> People come to church, they don't expect God to come. What did you do? We went to church. How was it? It was boring. It's not going to be boring if God shows up. You proclaim the word of God with boldness. And you pray because sometimes you say, I don't know if God can use me. You know, I'm not that, I'm not that wise. I'm not that strong. And God says, it's okay, because my strength will be made perfect <laughs> even in your weakness. <laughs> so then Paul says, well, then I guess I'll rejoice in being so weak. Then the power of God can be revealed in me. Wow. So when you stand up to speak... Preach the word of God, not human opinions. Does that, does that make sense to you? That's what Jesus did. And by the way, you know, people ask me, why, why don't you quote a lot of different people when you preach? You just quote from the Bible. Did you notice Jesus doesn't quote a lot of people when he preaches? He doesn't. He, he, he opened scripture to them. And by the way, I don't, he didn't have like the codex type book of scripture. He didn't have a big pile of scrolls. How was Jesus able to, to quote the scripture when he was preaching? How was Peter able to quote the scripture? Or Stephen when they were preaching? How were they able to do it? Talk about it tonight. Don't miss the meeting. Fill your mind with the word of God. You say, oh, but what happens? I might not be able to remember it. What do I do then? Even when I'm trying to prepare my sermon. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things I have said to you. That's Jesus, by the way. John 14, verse 26. So it's a wonderful thing when you say, I'm not getting up here to speak my opinions. I'm getting up to speak the word of God. One of the great preachers in the English-speaking uh, world, I did an interview with him for Ministry Magazine. It's a, a journal for our pastors. And um, he said one, one time he was preaching something from the Bible, and, and the people didn't like it. They didn't like what they were hearing. So he said, if, if all else, you know, if you have a problem, just hide behind the Bible, you know. <laughs> just tell the people, I know, I don't want, this is crazy. But you asked me to tell you what it says, what the Bible says. I mean, this is, this is difficult. 
But you want, you want me to tell you something else or you want me to tell you what the Bible says? Preach the word of God and not just human opinions. And God will bless you preaching, no doubt. All right, three lessons so far. First one, preach how? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Second lesson, pray. Huh? Pray when you prepare, pray, pray when you preach. Third lesson, preach the word of God instead of human opinions. Okay, lesson number four. Communicate God's grace. Luke 4. Jesus is in Nazareth. He has just read from the scripture, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach. We don't know everything that he preached that day. It's not all recorded for us. But scripture does record that they all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They marveled at the gracious words. John records in John 1.14 that Jesus was full of grace, full of grace and truth. I think that's why the children loved to get up on his lap and he would bless them. He was full of grace. He communicated God's grace. Have you noticed if you've read some of the New Testament epistles that they begin with a similar greeting? Have you noticed? What, what, how do they begin? Grace to you. Huh? Grace and peace to you. Um, Second Peter, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So when you stand up to speak, you, you, you're not standing up to, to beat people over the head. You know, they say, I don't, why didn't they come back? <laughs> they say they were, they were too damaged from the first time they came. Why would they want to come back? They need to hear grace. What, what does it mean to communicate God's grace? What does that mean? What does it mean? Communicate Jesus. What about Jesus? You're right. What about Jesus? His character, His character of love. That, that, that God so loved the world. People have a weird view of God. They think God is some mean tyrant just waiting to hit you or hurt you. Listen, if God didn't want us to be saved, Jesus could have stayed in heaven. We'd all be damned. Jesus was not constantly accusing people and criticizing people. Jesus loved even the sinners. By the way, the Pharisees accused him of that. Huh? They thought he was one of them because he loved them. No, he's not one of them, but he loved them. He communicated the love of God, the grace of God. We'll talk about this, um, and, and if you get the DVD... This package with the book and the DVD. We talk about delivery. Grace is not just communicated in words, but in your body. The way I communicate. If I, if I say, God loves you. 
you, you're thinking, I hope I never meet him. The way you communicate. You hear people even singing. Sometimes when they're singing up there, even here at the meeting, sometimes I, I'm wanting to say to them, smile. God loves you. God loves me. I'm like, smile. If God loves you. The way you communicate, the way you say the words communicates grace. God loves you. Does that make sense? So the way I can, oh, I wish I had more time to share with you about how to communicate non-verbally, but, but the, what's happening with your face, it communicates grace. Well, those are four important lessons. Let's look at lesson number five. Jesus was an amazing teacher. Um, he was really a great preacher. And one of the th- lessons we learned from Jesus uh, about powerful biblical preaching is to be aware of your audience. Hmm. <laughs> when I was uh, going to Newbold College, I took a preaching class. I think I took a speech class first. It was all very boring. I didn't have any people really inspire me. But I, I remember... I remember the teacher, maybe it was in the speech class, he told me when I was speaking to look at the clock. There's a clock there. Turn around. Can you see the clock there? So I'm going to look at the clock. Uh, Later years, when I began to study about communication, I thought, why would he tell me to look at the clock? I don't want to communicate with the clock. I mean, if someone came up to you, what's your name? Edward. Hi, Edward. How are you today? Yeah, yeah, you're having a good time. I mean, he's like, you're weird. (laughs) Why are you looking at the clock? eh? Look at me. I don't know why my teacher... I think maybe he told me to look at the clock like uh, Raluca talked to us in prayer this morning about lifting up your voice so that others could hear. Because if you're talking like this and reading, maybe... So I think maybe he was telling me to project my voice, but... But it was not really good teaching to tell me to look at the clock, right? Because I need to look at you. And to look at you, we need to connect. Jesus was aware of his audience. By the way, if that's true, and there's a chapter in, in this book, Powerful Biblical Preaching, on preaching effectively without notes. It's worth the 50 kroner or 8 euro just to get that one chapter. Because... Have you ever heard someone and they're just reading? Me, 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 me. It's very boring, right? Preaching without notes does not mean you have not prepared. It doesn't mean that you have not prepared. It means you have taken one more step beyond the manuscript. Because you want to be aware of your audience. Uh, if I'm just looking here, I can't be looking at you and you. I can't notice what's happening uh, to the audience. But Jesus was a master preacher. And, and look at one example here. Luke chapter 4. <laughs> it's just said, they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And then their body language changed. Hmm? They didn't say anything. Their body language changed. From this 
to this. How do I know that? Because of what Jesus said next. Because all of a sudden, they're first going, oh, this is really good. It's really... And then they go, wait a minute, this is the carpenter's son. Who is he? Who is he? He hasn't been to our schools. He's not quoting from our rabbis. Who is he? Why should we listen to him? And Jesus says, what does he say in verse 23? You say to yourself, um, physician, heal yourself. Prove, Prove what... You said the spirit of the Lord is on you. Prove it. Do some mighty work here. Like you did in Capernaum. Give us a little display here. A little show. Their body language changed. Jesus notices the change in their body language. Because he's aware of his audience. Now here's another remarkable story. Jesus is preaching about. The judgment and about God and, 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 and someone actually speaks up in his sermon but doesn't say, what shall we do? Repent and be about No. He interrupts the sermon with something totally unrelated. Jesus is preaching and someone says, Master, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> totally unrelated to the sermon. What would you do if someone did that in your sermon? You say, be quiet and sit down. (laughs) Ask me the question after the sermon. I'm preaching. But Jesus, Jesus actually changes his sermon and begins to preach another sermon. He talks about a fool who built a barn and then he tore it down and built a bigger barn. and, And then one night his life was required of him and Jesus said, you know, God called that man a fool. That's, that's unrelated to his previous sermon. It's totally related to the interruption. So I have a question. Why did Jesus change the whole sermon? Because someone interrupted him. Any idea? He said, oh, I didn't really want to preach that sermon anyway. I'll preach this one. No. Why did he change his sermon? <laughs> Good point. Every person's concern is important, but, but I, I think there's a little more than just this one man saying, oh, divide my inheritance with me. What did he notice happen in the crowd? Huh? The audience, uh, ability to yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and he noticed that. You're right, he's concerned about this one person. But he also notices, every, maybe they all knew him. And, and they all go, wow, well, what's Jesus going to do with it? They turn their attention. And Jesus notices, says, okay, I'm going to teach you a lesson. You're thinking about this, I'll teach you a lesson. Now, how many of us would do that? Do you know, I talked to an evangelist one time. He had just begun to preach. Now, if, if you're preaching, are, are there any people here who are, we have a preacher here and here, okay. Some of you have preached, maybe a lay preacher. Have, have you noticed when you're preaching and the Spirit of God is really touching people's hearts, how do they react non-verbally? How do their bodies react? Okay, they may be crying, yeah? What else? 
They're looking at you, right? I notice most of you are not like. <laughs> okay, you're looking, maybe tears, what else? How do you know if they're really listening? Huh? Nodding, yeah? Maybe leaning forward, right? Yeah, eye contact. Well, this preacher, he's just started preaching, and he notices all of these things, the tears, the Spirit of God moving, and the Spirit of God speaks to his heart. This is lesson number nine, so I don't want to do it all yet, but noticing body language, and says to him, I want you to make an appeal. And he's like, I just started my sermon. I have a really good sermon. Look. No, he didn't do that, but you know. Make an appeal. What would you do? Well, if you're preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, you make an appeal. And he did. And people came. <laughs> like, it's okay. We don't need the sermon right now. Just God is calling people now. <laughs> do you know? Do you know? And, and this is in, in chapter 2 of my book and in the DVD. I hope some of you will, will watch it. You can talk so long that, that they stop being interested. Is it true? They can be ready to make a decision. And you keep talking. And then they're like, oh, well, what time? let's go to lunch, right? You heard a sermon like this. It's like almost the end of the sermon. Like a little plane. And you're like, oh, it's ending. And you go, oh. And you're like, <laughs> pretty soon you're like, just crash, stop, let's go home, amen. We need to be aware, right? Jesus was aware of his audience. Great illustration in the book of Acts Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit preaches oh my and and in the middle of his sermon listen to me carefully you see derek how do you know it wasn't the end of his sermon uh you listen carefully it was in the middle of his sermon about jesus that they cry out brothers what shall we do what's happened to them they are under conviction, huh? Tears, eye contact, leaning forward, nodding. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter does not say, wait, I haven't finished my sermon. Stop. Wait. What shall we do? It says, he said immediately, repent and be baptized. The promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off. Now listen. Then it says, with this and many other words, he exhorted them or appealed to them. So see, he's not done with his sermon, huh? Many other words. So maybe he was only on page six and he had eight pages. But he was aware of his audience when they said, what shall we do? He said, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. So when you're speaking, in the power of the Holy Spirit, covered with prayer, preaching the word of God, communicating God's grace, be aware of your listeners. Be aware of your audience. 
Does that make sense? And one of the ways you're going to do that, which we don't have time to talk about, but you can read about, is, is learn how to internalize the sermon, that, get the sermon on the inside, so that you can preach it without notes. Can I just ask you the question on being aware of your audience? Yeah. We talk about time span, limit. Yep. Some people will preach for an hour, some over an hour, and yep. they say, well, I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm future. Yeah, that's uh... When we look at our audiences today in most of our churches, nobody's on the same level. Mm-hmm. People, I mean, at this conference, there's a certain type of person that would come to be filled and yep. experience this. But in our churches today, many are secular, and they can't handle an hour yep. sermon. Yep. Yeah. So what would you give for advice there about being aware of your audience? It's a really good question. You know, uh, I, I have taught preaching for many years. And sometimes uh, people say, oh, I just, you know, I just, I'm not quite done. And, and I'm thinking, you didn't prepare well. Because if you tell me how many minutes I have to speak, then I, I should be able to prepare. And I'm not talking about human wisdom. I'm talking about prayer and the Holy Spirit that you prepare for that amount of time. Uh, have you ever heard someone that preached too long? What happens when they preach too long? Yeah, you fall out the window and die. <laughs> yeah, but he woke him up, but not everybody wakes up. Yeah. Some people just won't come back. Do you know my, my son is a surgeon? You know what my son said to me one time? He came and he heard a poorly prepared sermon. You know what he said to me? He was upset. It hurt me. It hurt me. It hurt me. He said, when I prepare for a surgery, when I do a surgery, I prepare. He does facial reconstruction. You don't just go, in, oh, let's see what we can do here. <laughs> Person hit by a bus, you know. <laughs> oh, they make, they make molds. They make plans. They talk about how to reconstruct, take bone from the... They prepare. And he said, I come in and this person is not prepared. I'm seeking God and they're not prepared. That's serious. That's why we need to fall on our knees before God. Help me, God. It's important. So back to your question. I don't think... How long you speak is as important as how clearly you speak. One of my teachers of homiletics spoke about a powerful sermon as a bullet. You know what a bullet is from a gun? A bullet. There's a bullet, single. And then there's what we call buckshot. It's like for killing birds. It goes... Some sermons are like... And some are... Whether it's a short bullet or a longer bullet, if it's, if it's well-directed. So just tell me how much time I have. Do I have 27 minutes or 30 minutes or 10 minutes? When I was in Orlando I, until two years ago, I preached uh, at a church and the sermons were filmed and broadcast worldwide. So we have maybe 2,000 people on campus. So you say, do you want to speak to 2,000 people or to 100,000 people? You can speak for 27 minutes and 30 seconds and go to 100,000. Or you can speak for as long as you want and speak to the people who are there. That's why Lifestyle TV is so important here. 
there are 400 people here, but it could reach 10,000 people. So if you tell me I have a certain amount of time, and part of that, as Pastor Bernie is pointing out, is not just the time that they need for filming, but the attention span of your hearers. Then if I'm listening to my audience, I say, well, I may feel like I want to speak for 45 minutes, but I can't. Because they're not going to listen to me that long. So then I speak shorter. Does that make sense? I have to study my audience as well as study the Bible. Yes? We can be very well prepared. In one church, you can see the Holy Spirit is working. Yep. Many reactions. Next church, you come and start it. And, and after a few minutes, you see people falling out the window. Yeah, yeah. And that's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it's very difficult, you know. Uh, it's very difficult when someone on the front row is sleeping. You know, I've, um, I, I talked to a great preacher, one of the great preachers in the English-speaking language, and uh, he, he said, I have, a, I have a file of illustrations, of stories. They're like bombs, you know. Boom! <laughs> and he said something I thought was really strange. He said, even, even if it's not like directly related to my sermon, if I see people falling asleep, I've got to do something, right? So I just drop a bomb. People go, whoo! <laughs> it's difficult. You know, I, I realize that you can't make the spirit work. And, but, but maybe I have to... That's why I need to be aware of my audience. I may change um, some of the content of my sermon, or I may change the delivery of my sermon. I may come down and, and walk more and in some way try to connect with them. But... I would agree with you that some audiences are much more difficult to speak with than others. Um, it is a wonderful thing when you're with a group of people that really want to listen. And, and this, sem- you know, this, this conference would be a place like that. So you don't have to be here. You're here because you want to be. Well, those are very good questions. I want to move on to uh, some real... I mean, we're, we've got 33 minutes left and... and Two of the most important lessons are still to come. So six, seven, eight, and nine. We have four to go. Have you learned something so far? Huh? Preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray. Pray when you prepare, when you preach. Um, thirdly, uh, communicate the Word of God. Yeah, preach the Word of God, not human opinions. Uh, communicate God's grace and, and be aware of your audience. But this, oh my, I think this really... Hmm, I don't think I can say that because number one is most important. But, but if you want one principle that will move your preaching to, to another level of effectiveness, it is this one. All teachers of rhetoric, that's public speaking, and preaching, that's religious public speaking, will agree that every effective discourse is a communication of a single, memorable Idea. One idea. If someone is talking to you, your brain is trying to say, what are you trying to say? Huh? Oh, I have something really important to tell you. And you're like, slow down. What are you trying to say? Okay. The house is on fire. I got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah? What are you trying to say? Well, when you get up to speak for 20 minutes or 25 minutes or 30 minutes, the brain of your hearer is trying to figure out what is she trying to say. They're looking for a simple, memorable 
statement. My professor called it a bullet. Uh, John Stott, a great British cleric, called it a um, a single dominant thought. Yeah. So you use different words. People may talk about a proposition, a thesis statement, but they're all agreeing a simple, memorable idea or statement. Now, give you an example from the ministry of Jesus. He's preaching a great sermon. He's just fed the five thousand. And they come back and say, Jesus, can we have more free fish sandwiches, please? In fact, would you become our king and set up some free fish sandwich workshops and uh, fish sandwich cafes so we'll always have enough food to eat? And Jesus says, you don't understand. It's not just about free food. Your fathers ate free food in the wilderness and they died. But I... I am the bread of life. Hmm? I am the bread of life. This is his simple, memorable idea. Now, if I'm preaching that sermon, I'm not going to stand up and say, I am the bread of life, right? Because I'm not. But I could stand up and say, Jesus is the bread of life, right? That could be my one sentence. Now, I want you to notice some things about this simple, memorable statement. I want you to notice it's simple rather than complex. Do you see how simple it is? It's short. Six words in the English language. I don't know how many in your Bible. I am the bread of life, or even if I change it and preach it today. Jesus is the bread of life. It's just six words. It's not complicated. Jesus is, although many other people, and you may, blah, 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 it's the bread of life. It's not complex. It's simple. Do you get it? Simple rather than complex. Also notice it is positive. So it doesn't say, I want to tell you today, Buddha is not the bread of life. Amen. Let's pray. We're going to sing a song together. We're going to sing, um, what should we sing? Turn. Your, I don't know. Yeah. People are like, okay, so who is the bread of life? Yeah. Don't, it's not, the memorable idea is not negative. It's positive. Jesus is the bread of life. So Jesus communicates in this great sermon recorded in John chapter 6, a simple, memorable statement. But how do you get people to remember that? This is really important. It's so close. It's almost like they're connected. How do I get people to remember that simple, memorable sentence? Well, I can use two things. I can use repetition and I can use restatement. Now, this may sound complicated, but stay with me because this will set you apart as a powerful preacher. If you have the word of God and you get a powerful idea, the way that you drive it home, the way using advertising language that you make it stick is by repetition and restatement. So what's the memorable idea for Jesus? I am the bread of life. Okay, so if somebody has a Bible, what does it say in John 6 and verse 48? John 6 and verse 48. Does anybody know? Would you like to guess? I am the bread of life. That's repetition. Repetition means to say the same thing with the same words, right? Repetition. I call my wife. I say, I love you. And later I say, I love you. 
Why do I repeat? Why do I say this? She says, you already said that. Told me that the day we got married. Why did you tell me again? Why do we repeat it? Why do we repeat something? To remind? To, to, to infirm how important it is? Yeah? Strengthens the idea. Okay. So Jesus, he uses repetition. Again, later, he says the same thing. I am the bread of life. But now, what does it say in John 6 and verse 41? Anybody? Thank you. I am the bread which came down from heaven. That's not repetition. It's not the same words, but it is what? Restatement. It's saying the same idea in different words. Yep. That's restatement. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the bread which came down from heaven. Okay. Someone uh, look up John 6 and verse 51. What does it say? I am the living bread. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread which came down from heaven. I'm the living bread. Jesus is using both repetition and restatement to drive home his main idea. John Stott, great English cleric who just died last year. He said, I don't expect uh, people to remember everything I say. By the way, his church was full when other churches were empty. I don't expect people to remember everything I say, but I do expect them to remember that single dominant thought. How do I get them to remember it? Well, if it's in a book, what could I do in the book to, to, to make sure I remember that if I look at it again? I could use a highlighter like yellow or what else? Pink. Yeah. <laughs> Underline. A star in the... Yeah, right? I could... How do I do that verbally? Well, I can, I could tell people, I could say, uh, if you don't remember anything else, remember this one sentence. I've heard people say that. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Some people say, well, what if I say it the very last sentence? Would that be good? Well, what if the baby, oh, yeah, yeah, right when you're saying your last sentence? People, do, I missed it. <laughs> Probably I'm going to have to say it several times. In fact, my, one of my uh, teachers, Haddon Robinson, he says, you're going to have to probably say it at least eight times. Eight times? Does that surprise you? No. You know why? Because there's lots of ideas floating around. Plus, you're wondering uh, about what you're going to eat for lunch, and some of you are having trouble at work, and some of you just got a bad email from your boyfriend. or you know, There's lots of going on in your head. And so you want them to remember that you're going to have to repeat it, and you're going to have to restate it, drive it home, make sure people can remember it. That's really, really important for powerful biblical preaching. Well, this is important too. Talking about lessons uh, from the preaching ministry of Jesus. You know, I had a, I had a, a student one time tell me, I don't use illustrations. I just preach the word of God. And I thought, hmm. well, we do need to preach the word of God rather than human opinions, right? That's true. Hmm? But I thought, what an insult to the preaching ministry of Jesus. 
Jesus always used illustrations. In fact, Matthew said Jesus never spoke without using an illustration. Never. So apparently, it was important to Jesus. He'd got a single powerful idea to communicate. But it was important for Jesus to find practical illustrations. Give me an example of, a, of a, an illustration from the preaching ministry of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, all you need to do is say, oh, how about uh, all those parables like a sower went out to sow. And, uh, and he's talking about the condition of the human heart, right? But some of the seed fell on what? Well, on the pathway where it was, right? It was hard and birds came and, and ate it, snatched it away. And some uh, fell on the rocky soil, Right. And then some fell among the weeds, and the weeds sprung up and choked them. And some fell on good soil. He's illustrating uh, the receptivity or the openness of the heart of a person to receive the word of God. All right, great. Give me another illustration from the preaching ministry of Jesus. Yeah, he tells the story about uh, some lost things. Lost sheep. Lost coin and two lost sons, actually. A prodigal son and a mean stay-home son. He tells a story to illustrate. What was that about? You know, sometimes people, they tell this story and they don't even know what it was about. What was he illustrating in the story of all these lost things? Do you know? Yeah. Beautiful. God's love. You read the context. They're criticizing him because he's spending time with sinners. And he says, you know how God feels about sinners? <laughs> you know? You know how God feels about sinners? He loves them. Amen. He wants them to come home. He has a party when a lost sinner with tattoos and piercings and Sexually transmitted diseases comes home. Yeah? We don't. We're like, ooh, keep that person away from my children. I'm not saying what they did was good. But Jesus said heaven, heaven rejoices when that person comes home. Huh? We should rejoice too. That's communicating God's grace, right? So Jesus, the great story. Um, Sometimes Jesus actually used um, physical objects to illustrate his sermon. Uh, uh, yeah. I love that one. Thank you for pointing that one out. Jesus takes a child. <laughs> What's your name, son? Ebenezer. <laughs> Come over here, Ebenezer. Unless you become like this little child who was willing to help me with my sermon today, you will not enter the kingdom. Wow. So Jesus is constantly using illustrations. In fact, Matthew 13, if you wondered where I made that up or not, Matthew 13, 34, Matthew says that Jesus never spoke without using a parable. 
He always used an illustration. Why? Because he wanted them to get the big idea, that main idea of his sermon. Can I just add the point that it seems like Jesus was also very contemporary, and he did use illustrations that people understood of his time. He also spoke to Jews. Yes. So when we use illustrations sometimes, it's not mm. the best idea to buy 20,000 from North America. We need to be relevant to where we are. That is so good. Otherwise, you don't get it. And, you know, you're jumping, not jumping ahead inappropriately, and I'll come to your comment, but, but may I illustrate that first, and you hold your point just for a second. Uh, so where, Bern, Pastor Bernie is asking the question, where do we find good illustrations? And let me put a, a little diagram up on the screen. I think I have one here for you. Um, where is the best place to find... I don't know if I have a pointer in this thing or not. I think I might. No? Okay, I don't. Uh, where is the best place to find illustrations? Yes, thank you. In that, in that overlapping area between the listener's life and the preacher's life. That's the best place. So that's why Jesus talks about shepherds with sheep and uh, farmers who are sowing fields and construction workers who are building houses. Uh, Jesus finds something that they have all in common and he, he uses that as an illustration. Okay, Where's the second best place on that uh, uh, schematic there? Where's the second best place to find illustrations? Second place is in the life of the listener. So I say, you know, I don't know. T- I'm, I'm speaking up in some fishing village in Sweden or Norway or who knows? And I say, you know, I don't know much about fishing, but I, I notice that when you fish, you need to. And they go, yeah, you know, they will nod. <laughs> they kind of know I really don't know too much about it. But but I took enough time to learn something. And they go, that's true. Right. So if I'm going to find something that we don't both have in common, I'm going to look for something in the life of the listener. OK, third best place to find illustrations. Yeah. In your life. Now, you might say, well, is it third or is it second? Or, okay. I, if you have a really powerful personal experience to share, it may be the best experience, right? It, it may be just the best one. <laughs> but, but I'm not. If I just get up and, and I never speak about things we have in common and I never speak about things in your life, I'm always just speaking about things in my life which don't relate to you. That may not be the best, right? So still, something that I share, if it's from my life, I want to try to make it as close to your experience as I can. But yeah, that would be the third best place, and and that's very appropriate. Um, Dan, who spoke this morning, uh, did you, you hear Dan this morning? Yeah, when he was sharing about his little boy, William, that was really powerful, wasn't it, you know? You know, sometimes God uh, hides himself. You know, we don't understand why. He, he told the story, tiptoeing and minding all the toys. You know, we could all imagine, you know, the toys. Great illustration that we could all relate to from his experience. Where, where's, the, where's the fourth place to find illustrations? Oh, out there somewhere in a book, you know. Well, in the 16th century French court, like, man, this better be really good. (laughs) I mean, first of all, I'm not French, and this isn't the 16th century. 
You know, I don't work in a court. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes, like, could you recommend a good book of sermon illustrations for me? And my answer is no. No. Jesus, he got it right out of life. Right, right where your life and the life of your hearers overlap. Or from their life or from your personal experience. And if you're going to find it somewhere else, it's going to have to be really good to tell that story, right? And sometimes that may happen. All right, another comment about Ill- This is really important, by the way. Yeah, I was just going to share what you have been saying here. Like in the book, Gospel Workers, I know I talked a lot about the people that misuse this tool of illustration. Yeah. And uh, people that use this illustration that they themselves, they, they are not even acquainted with the story that yep. they're telling. And yep. they are not even so much, uh, they don't relate to the story. They just, they just think that the story is good, but, you know, they don't have this, you know, Yep, and you're absolutely right. And, and the, the problem there is that the person doesn't have the main idea from the Bible. And so they don't know what they're illustrating. And so they just tell a bunch of different stories, and, and then they go and you say, oh, was, did you hear that story about, about, about Sam? That was really funny, wasn't it? No. <laughs> and they go, yeah, I guess so. What was the point of the whole thing? And they're like, I don't know. I mean... I don't know. That's the problem, see? It's not, it really isn't an illustration because they're not illustrating a, an idea from the Scripture. And, and so it becomes more of an entertainment or, or just a distraction. But Jesus, when he used the illustration, it was to help them to understand this key truth. What I want them to remember is the single dominant thought, yeah. that one idea. Now, and they, they say, oh, I heard he told Sir about that. And, and then I, they can say, yeah, th- see, that illustrates this point. That's the key, is that single idea. And, and otherwise, it can be abused. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm preaching. I, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but I have this great story. There's no such thing as a great illustration. There's only a great illustration of something. So the story could just be a distraction or something you should save for another time. One last lesson from the preaching ministry of Jesus. Uh, When Jesus preached, he called for radical life change. I've noticed here at Impact Scandinavia that people are not hesitant to call people to make some kind of decision. And I appreciate that. I appreciated uh, Dan sharing this morning uh, and making it inclusive. You know, sometimes I may say if you're, if you're seeing the gospel in a new way, maybe I didn't see it in a new way, so I didn't stand up. But then he said, you know, if you want courage to be able to share with others, and I thought, well, that, that I can agree with. So I stood up, you know. So giving people an opportunity, if you've said something to respond, Jesus did that at the end of his great Sermon on the Mount. 
he said, uh, well, he told a story. What was the story about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember? He said, if you hear my words and do them, you are like a wise man or woman who built the house where? On the rock, huh? The rains came, floods, winds, and the house on the rock. But if you hear my words and do not do them, you're like a foolish person who built where? Jesus is calling people. What's, he, what's his appeal? His appeal is to build on the rock, to do what he, they have heard, right? So he gives a simple appeal at the end of his sermon. We've talked about Peter, the same thing. He, he, he was very specific. What shall we do? He doesn't just say, well, whatever you feel God wants you to do. Whatever God... No, no. no. Tell us. You say, well, okay, God, what do you want them to do? Well, I want them to repent and be baptized. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I want them to repent and be baptized. So he calls for a very specific life decision. And that call should be simple and clear. I don't know if this has happened to you, but have you ever had a person make an appeal and you're not really sure what they said? And you feel bad because you feel like if you don't stand up, maybe people will think you don't love Jesus. But you don't really know what they said. You know what I'm saying? That, that makes you feel um, manipulated. Makes you feel forced. Doesn't feel right. But if someone has clearly proclaimed this powerful idea from the word, and then they call you to respond in a very clear way, your heart naturally wants to respond. And I want to encourage you to not be afraid to call people to make a decision. Why would we be afraid to do that at the end of our sermon? Yeah, we're afraid. Well, what if nobody comes forward? Then, then what? Then God looks bad. No. Then I look bad, right? So then I'm more afraid of what people think about me rather than what they think about God. So if I've said something, if I've preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, I've bathed my sermon in prayer, I've preached the word of God, not human opinions, I've communicated God's grace, aware of my audience, single idea, repeated and reinforced it, I've used the illustration, then I ought to be able to call people to respond to that powerful message that they've heard and not be worried. I was a guest speaker at a church in Tennessee I had preached a sermon from Mark chapter 2. And for some reason, probably my human weakness, I had not made an appeal. I don't do that anymore. But this was years ago. And we're singing the closing hymn. And we're finishing the first verse of the closing hymn. And the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. And said, Derek, I want you to give an invitation for people to accept Christ as Savior. And I began to argue with God during the hymn. I said, God, I'm just a guest here. I don't, I don't know these people. Um, you know, we're already singing the closing hymn. But God 
Spirit continued to bring conviction to me, I want you to give an appeal. So we finished the first verse of the song. I turned to the organist, and I just went like this. Like we'd been working together for 50 years, you know. And somehow he understood that this meant keep playing, but not too loud. (laughs) And I just walked up to the microphone, and I said... um, Um, God has just impressed me to give an invitation. Uh, I know we're singing the hymn, but maybe there's someone here and you need to trust Christ as your Savior today. And so I just want to invite you. We're going to just keep singing this song. And, and if that's you, I want you to just come forward. So we start singing the second verse of the hymn. And we just are like a little bit into it. And right back there on row five, a young man, 25 years old, popped up. Pop. Tears in his eyes. He gets out. He walks up. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Because then someone else pops up and someone over here. And someone back there and someone there, just like popcorn. Pop, 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 pop. Fifteen people in that church stood up. I'm like, whoa. They came forward. No loud music. No 20-minute appeal. Just a simple invitation. You know, I'll come to your point in just a minute. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Um, Okay, so there was a little room off to the side where the mother's with a glass window. And I said, I'd just like to meet with you afterwards and we'll pray together. And Do you know most of the people who came forward were not even members of that church? They got up that morning, different places, and God's Spirit said, I want you to go to that church today. So what would have happened if I had not listened to the invitation of the Spirit of God? What would have happened? But don't tell me they'd have been lost. I know God loves them too much to let a foolish preacher get in the way of his divine plan. What would have happened? I would have missed the blessing. I would have missed the blessing, right? You know what was the most impressive thing to me? That young man. Remember the guy? Row five? First person? With this I close. He came up to me and he said, You know, um, when I was singing the hymn, I looked up and I noticed that you were troubled. And he said, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, I am troubling him to make a call. And that young man said, Lord, if he makes a call, I will go forward. Even before I knew. 
I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to listen to God. We're not so wise. We're not so strong. But if our heart is willing, the Spirit of God can guide us. He wants you to be a powerful biblical preacher. I want to give you two web, uh, a website and an email address as we close. We're just about uh, to finish here. I have a preaching website. There are more than 100 sermon manuscripts. There are some uh, instructions on preaching and training. Uh, they're all free uh, at the website, uh, the same title as, as the workshop, the same title as the book and DVD. It's called PowerfulBiblicalPreaching.com. So I just want to invite you to write that down and visit that. And then uh, one last uh, address here, and we're on time to close. Uh, If you would like a free copy of this PowerPoint presentation, or if you would like a free electronic copy of my book, an e-book, if you have an iPad or a tablet where you can open an e-book, you need EPUB or iBook to be able to open that. But if you would like one of those, you can write to me at that address, and I will send you an electronic copy uh, of this book, and I will do that for you free. Not because it's not worth anything, but because you came to Impact Scandinavia. If there are any of you that are interested in the book and the instructional DVD, which talks both about 12 steps, which is chapter 2 in this book, and effective delivery, I brought 36 sets of this. And I will be out in the lobby after the, uh, we close here at 1. I have 36 sets of this, and if any of you are interested in those, um, it's like a 70% discount. They're 50 kroner, and whatever kroner you carry, or if you have 49, that's okay, or 48, or 8 euro, or something. It's just a dedication. This is not about money, but that will cover the cost of the printing and the DVD. I have 36 sets, if any of you are interested. But right now, I want to pray with you before we close and invite you to stand. And uh, I'll be happy to talk to any of you in the lobby as we close. Have you learned some lessons today? Nine lessons from the preaching ministry of Jesus. Thank you for being so attentive. Lord God, thank you for this time. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to save us, but also to teach us how to live and to teach us how to be uh, your witnesses. I pray that some lesson we have learned from you today would have a life-changing impact upon the way we share with others. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, Or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.